I'm sorry, your town can't get an interstate because you already got dirt roads, and that's good enough for you. Hello, everyone. It's the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Again, we're doing a little format change where it's just Lisa and I today talking. I'm Chris Mitchell with the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. And this is Lisa Gonzalez, also with the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. That's why your office is right across the hall. I was wondering that. Go figure. Uh, We're going to talk about overbuilding today, and in particular, uh, when it makes sense. The practice of overbuilding is somewhat controversial, the idea of building a new network where there's already an existing network. Overbuilding, the term, comes from sort of cable competition, which is when the cable companies wanted to brand competition negatively, they called it overbuilding because it would be unnecessary to ever have a choice in providers. Um, But this all comes about because of this really interesting new report Have you heard about this new report? Well, being one of the authors, I have heard a little something about it. I'm glad to hear that. We just released a report. It's titled Minnesota Local Governments Advance Superfast Internet Networks. The report looks at five communities in greater Minnesota. They've all put in incredible fiber networks. And we told about the different approaches they took. One of the communities that we looked at was Lakwaparl County. This overbuilding subject came up also in the state legislature, which has been considering some uh, policy changes uh, to remove barriers to municipal networks, as well as encouraging partnerships and even rolling out a loan fund that would encourage um, rural networks, uh, often from co-ops and other entities that are really doing a good job already of serving their communities to help them to expand. And so there's a little bit of a debate whether or not uh, overbuilding uh, is a good idea and whether the state should encourage that or even accept that when it's making uh, loans with this fund that may not even be enacted, but it's the discussion that's happening right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we wrote about Lacaparl in this report that we just released, and we're also very familiar with Lake County, uh, which will be included in a future report in which we go into greater depth into all of these networks. But the interesting thing is, is that in Lake County, when they built out this network in a very rural area, they included the two larger towns. And, and larger is a fairly comparative statement. Um, because these are small towns and they already had cable access from Mediacom. And Mediacom has just thrown a temper tantrum at all levels of government saying it's unacceptable uh, for a government-subsidized network to compete with them and they think it's unfair. And it was really interesting that when we looked at what Lacaparl had done, they took the opposite approach and they did not overbuild in the areas where Mediacom already offered services in the two bigger towns in Lacaparl. So what did Lacaparl do? Lacaparl is one of these communities in greater Minnesota, like a lot of other communities across the country, that had very little options in terms of connectivity for the people who lived there, especially people who were not in the quote-unquote bigger towns, the largest towns in the community. And um, what they did is um, there was a a co-op in the community, in the county, And it had been providing broadband through fiber upgrade to its existing customers. And they developed a partnership with Farmers Mutual Telephone. That's the co-op. And um, they were very fortunate to get some broadband stimulus. And they brought the fiber network to about 1,700, almost 1,800 properties in the community that had dial-up 
possibly DSL. Um, but in the two larger towns in the county, Mediacom already provided cable services. So they had to stay away from that particular area. Well, I think they, they made a choice to stay away, and that right. that may have enhanced their, their chances of getting the stimulus, which right. they ultimately did. Right. But what was the final result of that then? What happens today? The economic development director in Lacquaparle County, her name is Pam, and she lives in one of the smaller communities, and she works in one of the larger towns. And she told me that you know she has this great fiber service at home, but her connection at work is ridiculously slow. So there are many times when she's more productive at home than she is at work. And this is not the only, she's not the only person who told us that. Right. And we've seen that in other communities as well over the years. So, so we have this interesting result where, you know, the idea is that if you avoid overbuilding, then somehow the communities are better off. But what we fear will happen over time is that communities that are surrounded by good access will be hollowed out. Because if you're about to move into this area or if you're trying to figure out where to set up that new business you've been thinking about starting, why would you put it in an area where you could only get really slow service from Frontier or Mediacom when if you move it a mile, you'll get this fiber optic service, which is more reliable and a lower price and from a provider that actually cares about the community rather than these big companies which are headquartered out of state. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is this is the natural result that comes from a policy that basically says all overbuilding is bad. Uh, and so one of the things we wanted to talk about in relation to overbuilding is is what these consequences are, but also some of the arguments that, that are raised and, and responses to them. I think the, the main point of both of these stories, whether you're talking about Lake County or La Caparo, is you're dealing with incumbents that have refused to provide modern services. And so it would be one thing if Verizon's Fios was here and we were building a new fiber network on top of it. Now, I think that there's still a number of good cases to be made for where that may make sense. And, but I think that's a different argument than where you have a very slow cable and DSL network. I mean, what it comes down to is this. If I said, Lisa, I'm sorry, your town can't get an interstate because you already got dirt roads and that's good enough for you. How would you feel about that? Uh, that would not make me happy. Where am I going to drive my Ferrari? It's not going to work on a dirt road. I need to talk to you about salary. <laughs> All those bonus promises, it may not be coming through. <laughs> um, and so we have, we have an issue where, you know, the, the common line from, from a lot of people uh, that are trying to oppose government policy is government shouldn't be picking winners and losers. Well, if you're enabling a fiber network, but you refuse to provide it in the town, then you're basically picking the losers. And it's going to be the people in the town that are stuck with a crappy cable and DSL network. The better solution is to make sure that you're building a network that serves everyone's needs. Well, but Christopher, all of these companies who have been providing these services have invested all this money in their networks. And that's not fair that they have to compete with a network that's been paid for with subsidies. What do you say to them? Well, first of all, when it comes to fairness, I care more about fairness for the community than I do for these massive companies that are very profitable. I mean, that's just I'm not against profit. But ultimately, if you're going to force me to choose between the health of a community and more profit for a massive company that's headquartered far away, I'm going to choose the community every time. But this issue of subsidy always gets me because many of these networks were built with subsidies. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about Minneapolis here. We're talking about Lacaparle, one of the smallest population counties in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. 
They've been getting universal service dollars. They've had all kinds of subsidies for these rural providers, whether it's uh, for telehealth or for E-rate for the school systems or, or any number of subsidies, universal service funds that are all meant. And I think you know, well-intentioned to expand access in rural areas. You know, this is not a situation where some guy invested his money and built a network and, you know, has never taken a dime of subsidy. These networks are all subsidized. And when you look at the cable companies, they haven't gotten as many subsidies as the telephone companies typically. However, they also had decades of a monopoly where they knew that they wouldn't have to face competition. And even today, they know that they don't have to face competition. Those are also subsidies that prevent uh, people from having the kind of services that they should. And so it's, it, this is not a matter of, you know, like the people in the black hats get subsidies and the people in the white hats don't get subsidies. It's, it's, it's a mix. And ultimately, we should be choosing what outcome leads to the best results for the communities that desperately need access. And I think that's some level of overbuilding. It's not like they don't have the opportunities because, you know, Lacoparo approached Frontier and asked them to work with them. And they just said, no, thanks. Right. Well, in fact, something we see often is that the local people from the telephone company were excited about it. Mm -hmm. But it was their supervisors at the state level or the national level that consistently shoot down these ideas mm -hmm. and they refuse to work with communities. Yeah, well, they don't live there. Right. They don't live there. They probably don't even know where there is. Yes. <laughs> You know, the final point about all of this is, is, is one that I care very deeply about, which is fiscal responsibility, which is to say, are we going to build networks that require subsidies ongoing or are we going to subsidize networks one time and then they'll pay for themselves indefinitely? When you choose to build a network only in areas where there's no density whatsoever, the chances of that network being able to cash flow just on the revenues of the subscribers is very low. But if you do what Lake County did and you build out and you cover, you know, the existing towns that already have some level of service, those areas are more profitable and they can help balance the losses that you may see in the areas which have a much lower density. So one of the things that's ironic about this is some of the people who often claim to be caring about fiscal responsibility are making an argument that effectively we should build networks that will forever require subsidies so that we don't step on the toes of some distant private companies that have refused for decades to invest in the very communities they're serving. Mm -hmm. it's, it's just mind-boggling how we can come to this conclusion. And I think a, a, a big part of the reason is because it's complicated economics and you have these people using sound bites just saying, oh, well, government can't do anything right. When you look at the cable market in the United States, it's pretty clear that when left to their own devices, private companies do a real crap job of things. Um, you know, I can go to the DMV and deal with them a heck of a lot easier than I can deal with Comcast. Um, so ultimately, a lot of those sound bites are not accurate, but there's still people respond to them, unfortunately. Yeah, there is definitely a big misconception that the public sector is no good at handling uh, customer service or just taking care of business, you know. Um, I had sent an email to the FCC yesterday, as a matter of fact, late in the afternoon. I had a question about you know, their website and filing, and I thought I'd be lucky if I got an answer in three weeks. Well, even before I got to work, they had already replied and answered my question. I've had similar experiences, and, and I sometimes feel bad criticizing the FCC decisions and people within the FCC for doing things that I think aren't good policy. 
But I've been amazed. They work long hours and they're often very dedicated to their jobs. And I think that's true. My wife works for the state and, and I see that on a regular basis where they're putting in long hours and a lot of her colleagues put up with a lot because they believe in serving the public. But that's a little bit off topic. I think it's an important to note to include, but the ultimate point to this discussion is, is one of overbuilding, which is to say that it can make a lot of sense. And we should not accept simplistic arguments that it would be wrong to build a new network, particularly a very advanced network, in an area that already has some level of DSL or cable, just because they got there first. Mm-hmm. Thank you again for joining us as we discussed overbuilding. To learn more about Lacquaparle County, Minnesota, download the news report at ILSR.org. Be sure to check out our resources library where you can find a plethora of resources on municipal networks. As always, we ask you to share your ideas for the show. Is there someone you want us to interview? Is there a specific topic you want to know more about? Email us right to podcast at muninetworks.org. You can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at CommunityNets. This show was released on March 25th, 2014. Thank you again to the group Valley Lodge for their song, Sweet Elizabeth, licensed using Creative Commons. Mm-hmm.